0: Welcome to Al from the Cube. Episode 13 is going to be starting here in a second. I just want to give you a heads up. The audio for Aaron Branson, my guest, is not as great as it could be. Uh, used a few tools to try to enhance it a little bit. Still figuring out some of the nuances with recording uh, with somebody on site. So apologize for that ahead of time. This is one of the better episodes that we've had Aaron's a phenomenal person, uh, phenomenal in his uh, vertical of cybersecurity. I think you'll get a lot out of this episode, and we're really fortunate to have him uh, come sit down for an hour with us, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. But again, apologize ahead of time for some of the audio that happens in there. Enjoy. Welcome back uh, out from the Cube, getting into our rhythm of uh, Thursdays being when we bring somebody in and have a discussion. Very fortunate that we have somebody with us today uh, that I've actually known. So if you listen to the podcast, you know my background a little bit, or if you don't, then go to episode one, where I kind of talk about my background and how I got involved in technology and some of the things we talk about with the podcast. Uh, but for the past 10 years, I've been in IT. And prior to being in IT, I spent 14 or so years as a basketball coach, mostly at the small college level. And did that for a long time. Really enjoyed it, um, but got out of that for a number of reasons, and got into software. And I, I, I say that backstory simply because I lived in Detroit coaching basketball. When I got out of coaching, I moved to St. Louis, Missouri, and I've been here for about ten years. And my uh, did not know anything about software. Didn't know how to write code. Didn't know any of the tools involved. Didn't know what it did. Didn't know anything. So I self-taught myself for uh, maybe five or six months, and. During that time, I would work at Starbucks from 3.30. I'd get up at 3.30, I think it was. I'd be at Starbucks like at 4.15 and I'd work from 4.15 to 10 or 10.30. Then from 10.30 to 8.00 PM, I would be reading books, writing code, learning everything I could about technology and how to become a software developer. That backstory is important because after four or five months, I applied for a job that I found online uh, and took a test and did some things and eventually got hired by a local company here in St. Louis. That I don't know if I would say they were a startup or anything along those lines. Uh, but my one of my first bosses or somebody I reported to or somebody that was high up in that company is our first is our guest today on this Thursday. And our guest is Aaron Branson. And you remember that, right? You remember? Absolutely. We, so we started yeah, fun times. Uh, those were yeah, that was 10 years ago. So I'm 45. So I was 35 years old, had just stopped coaching basketball and now and had worked my way up. I mean I had worked my way up the coaching ladder a little bit and was finally a head coach at a university. Things were going well and now all of a sudden I was struggling to find work and changing careers, going from jock to geek. So I was I wasn't there long. How long were you at that company? The company was Rounded Cube, right? Rounded Cube. Yeah Rounded
1: Cube. We started that in two thousand two. So I was there all of twelve years before making the change. So yeah we grew it from
0: so you, when you say we, did you help start that?
1: Yeah. I mean, a friend of mine, and my partner there, Marco Tanna, the owner a of the company, uh, we worked previously at EDS together. Really? And uh, I had a freelance customer. He had a freelance customer. We put it together and grew the business from there.
0: Wow, I guess I, did. I didn't know that you were a, part, a partner of that. So that, that was a, we don't have to go into this, but that's probably a hard walk away after 12 years. And it, you had built that up pretty good.
1: Yeah, it, that was exciting. That was, that was a huge blessing to be able to have that opportunity and Marco's a great guy. Right. That was fun. Right. That was fun. Going from two people with two customers to an office in St. Louis an office in Houston, working for SeaWorld, working for Hillshire brands and just oh, wow. just winning big name clients like that. Just us little guys in St. Right. Louis. Yeah. So that was cool. Wow.
0: So I didn't know that you had, had helped build that. So that's, that's great. So, um, so we're going to get it. We got about an hour. or There is a hard stop on this. And the people that do listen to the podcast know that I bounce a little bit in terms of things that the, the, the conversation. I'll try to keep this on point, but we do have a hard stop. And uh, so uh, I know you, you're busy. So I do appreciate your time. Um, so Aaron and I, other than knowing each other, having worked together uh, when they hired me at Rounded Cube, um, Aaron and I actually live close to one another. We're actually recording this in the house at the kitchen table. And um, but our kids go to school together. Uh, you homeschool your kids, yeah. but our kids are involved in all the sports together, oh, yeah. and that's how we. And you just moved into this area. You've only been yeah, here like been two it, or three years, right?
1: Two years, last week. Oh, really? Yeah. So just hit two years in the neighborhood and love it. And yeah, our kids playing baseball and basketball right. together. It's fun,
0: right? Um, and what a huge uh, and people in our community do listen to this podcast. And what a what a huge addition uh, you have been to the community here and all that before we get real technical and what you do for a living and the job change. And, and uh, um, I, I, I am fascinated. Um, You you are, you are a great person. Like you are great for our community uh, and how you live your life. And um, just from an outsider's perspective, looking in, just going, man, that is uh, and this may sound goofy from coming from an older guy to, to another older guy. But like, I look at you and say, man, I wish I was more like that guy. And I, and I mean that honestly, I mean that honestly. And I, I've had some really great conversations with some people over the past week and I was really looking forward to this. Cause this, this, this is in line with some other great people I've had a chance to meet and discuss lately, but you do some incredible things. Um, that I wish I could do. And people that listen to this probably in their mind said, man, I wish I could do that. Why am I not doing that? Um, but you, and I'm not going to get everything correct, but you bring kids in and take, like you bring foster kids into your house and you take care of them essentially. Right. Until they find a home. And it's like on a cycle, right? you keep. Yeah.
1: Um, well, first of all, it's humbling. Thanks for saying all that. That's that's gave me goosebumps. That's <laughs> true. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we, uh, I love my family. Everything I do is for my family. And and basically we, we work with a program called Safe Families for Children. And you can liken it to foster care, but it's more on an intermediate state. The state's not involved. It's, it's maybe a single mom who's down on her luck, has no family connections, no, mm-hmm. no friends that can help her out if she lost a job or lost her apartment. Mm-hmm. And they need one week, two weeks, three weeks to get back on their feet. And someone to ah. watch. Maybe they have a one-month-old. Maybe they have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And Safe Families for Children's a great organization. And they they put the word out. They broadcast it out to uh, families like us that are volunteers. Mm-hmm. And who's available right now? We have a mom with a, a three-month-old. She needs three weeks to find a new job and get a new apartment. And we raise our hand if we're available. Wow. And we bring, bring them into our home and they go where we go. They uh, go to church with us. They right. hang out at the house with us. They go to baseball games with us. And they just are part of the family for two or three weeks or however long that 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 need right. is yeah
0: and how many kids how many kids do you have uh, in we we have, have five you have five yeah. of your own kids yeah yeah five of yeah. your yeah. own some
1: people think we're crazy but yeah and then
0: so you have five of your own kids and you homeschool all of them
1: we homeschool through eighth grade and then we kick them out to high school okay because you do have
0: one okay so you yeah. have some and you know how many in high school do you have
1: uh two officially now um my second oldest is a fresh is going to be a freshman this fall at okay. duchenne
0: going to duchenne, duchenne. okay duchenne. so duchenne's a local high school here in st louis that's a, a really good school and so so you have your own, you have five of your own kids and you, and then how often do you bring kids into your to your home
1: Uh i say we probably go through three or four stints per year so we get a break you know we might have have a child with us for a three-week period and then maybe we're off for right another month or two and it kind of alternates. Right. Uh, sometimes we've had, uh, I think the longest stint we've had was maybe a month, like four week period. Hmm. But,
0: um, and how does that intersect their education and your homeschooling of your kids? Like, do you just plug them into what you're doing academically at your house or? Yeah. Usually
1: they're real little. So, oh, so you're yeah, not
0: so, getting a, a 10 to 15 year old. I, I,
1: yeah. And that's the other thing with the program is what works for your family. And uh, who, what are your criteria? how can you help? And for us, it's the little ones, you know, we can, we've got kids in school. My wife is homeschooling and teaching. So we're better equipped with the, with the three years and younger kids. And that's how we can serve. Wow. And so that's what we do.
0: So I had um, coffee yesterday on 4th of July with a gentleman and it, and I, I, this isn't hyperbole or anything like it was a top five conversation that I've ever had in my life with somebody. It was amazing. But we started our conversation where he, uh, he adopted an 11-year-old uh, uh, girl from Guatemala. And we talked about that for a while and the challenges of that. An 11-year-old in an orphanage in Guatemala, you know, it was, it was really, really something. So, but the question I asked him, and, and I guess to ask you is, at what point did you and your wife sit down and say, this is something we should do? Like I want to get involved in that because that's,
1: that's something.
0: And you and your wife, Mm -hmm. you're a phenomenal couple and seem to be on the same page with everything. Um, But I'm guessing that was probably an easy conversation with both of you. Like, Hey, maybe we should be doing something.
1: Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, for us, it's a matter of discerning. How are we serving? How are we serving Christ through our community, through our family, just through our everyday lives? How Mm -hmm. can we, how can we make holy? just our normal everyday lives, you know, right. j- just a regular family. Mm-hmm. Um, but what can we do? Uh, and that was, that was something we wanted to do is, you know, what are we good at? Well, my wife is extraordinary with, with kids, with homeschooling and, and I love coaching and I love coaching the mm-hmm. little kids. So we have a connection there. That's kind of a, um, something we like to do. And, so how
0: long have you done it? How long have you, had- um,
1: I think it's been, I want to say two years now, two years we've been mean- doing that. Hmm. And, and also is another thing is how can we make giving and charity real to our own kids? Yeah, we can. We, I mean, right. it's always good to, to put the envelope in the basket, to give to charity, to volunteer and raise money for another organization. But how can we make those people in need real, real right. and meet them and, right. and be the hands and feet of Jesus? Have you
0: seen that yeah. effect with your kids? Have you oh, seen yeah. the change with your kids over two they years? Yeah,
1: absolutely the program they can't they can't wait to have a kid come into our home wow. and they just fawn over them and play with them and and what a, i mean
0: i could talk about this yeah. for a while i mean i i admire you for that um i've known you've done that uh, since you've got plugged in with our community here um and i'm not just me but like everybody. I mean, the people that we're all kind of connected with. I mean, it's uh, we'd all like to be doing something like that. But to have somebody um, a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is ideas and considerations and different ways we can move the dials a little bit on our lives. But one of the things that I've got to do and we talk about on the podcast is just taking action on things that are on our mind on our hearts or what we see other people doing or the success other people are having that we can do. It's hard to take that action. Yeah, like there's a lot is. of good hearted people hard. that do a lot of good things and have great intentions and think of great things. But it's another thing to take that step and yeah. have that action, make that phone call, write that email to do those things. And I'm it sure is. that was hard for you guys. Yeah,
1: I, was, I, I want to make clear that this isn't just <laughs> easy for us and we're just, hey, that's no problem. Right. But jumping into the program at first took a lot. Right. It it was scary. You know, what are we opening our family to these other, you know, we're in our comfort zone. We're in our bubble. It's nice and safe here. Right. But what are we introducing to our families? We don't know this other family. We don't know who's connected to this other family. Right. And so it's a little scary, but um, sometimes you just got to. Right. You you think about it, you pray about it, you make a smart decision, but ultimately, you got to get out of your comfort zone too. I think that's big time.
0: I, I I really, even though we're recording right now, even if we were not recording, man, (laughs) I think that's big time. Good for you. Um, So that that's your background, but now to kind of circle to technology and business and teams and leadership and some of the things that we do talk about on this podcast. Um, So you spent twelve, you you ran, helped run a startup. So you Mm -hmm. and Marco were partners. Got that built up. And what was your role with that? What, what was your primer? What was, I okay. guess, what, what was his role? What was he kind of responsible for? Technology
1: uh, and building? Technology, the business operations, uh, he, the owner of the company, my role, sales and marketing. And uh, once we brought business in, you know, we wear a lot of hats as a startup. Yeah. So also I would be the the, the digital marketing and the, the user experience design side of the house mm-hmm. where he was the, the the back of the house with the technology, the development, the architecture Mm mind behind behind all uh, all of our solutions that we build for customers.
0: And did that, those roles stay in place for, that was pretty solid for 12 or so years. We made a
1: good yin and yang there as far as front end, back end, UI, architecture, Mm -hmm. it worked really well.
0: And so you did that and did the sales and marketing for 12 years with that company. Mm -hmm. And you did find a niche. I, I am interested about this. Um, there's a niche that you and you you all hung your hat on a platform or technology stack called Sitecore, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Why that? Why why that choice? That that seemed that yeah. it's a CRM or it's a
1: it, it's a content management system right? or you know that 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 category. They're they're sprawling and breaking boundaries, so you can't really put the mm-hmm. Sitecore platform in just the CMS bucket anymore, but. We started out, first of all, focusing on a technology, Microsoft.net, so that that could be our skill set and not spread ourselves too thin, trying to do PHP and trying to do different technology stacks. But so within .net, then we were looking for an out-of-the-box solution, that a platform we could build on and not home grow right. everything. Get you down and the road. And did the research. Sitecore, we caught them. It was great. You know, they were just up and coming. They were a startup themselves. I credit Marco found it he evaluated kicked the tires on it really loved the uh the architecture of the platform they built mm-hmm. he saw he had a good vision as far as he saw that this was going to go somewhere and we became one of their first implementation partners because they focus on the software they look they they were channel focused as far as having partners be the implementers of the software mm-hmm. and we were one of the first ones to jump on the wagon and, uh, and
0: you rode that like Yeah, we rode
1: their coattails, I'd have to say. As, they, as that platform exploded, uh, we were right there as one of the most experienced implementers of the software to bring it to life with customers.
0: What, what's, your, what's your background then technically? Sales and marketing is one thing. Sales and marketing for a technology company and a yeah. startup is another thing. So what was your background technically when
1: you... Got- web development. Yeah, web design development. I was doing that since... 1999, when mm-hmm. it was still new, right. really new. Um, and really, so I, I and I, I lean toward the front end development. And uh, that, that was really my background. There.
0: That was your background. Yeah. And so after 12 years there, and because I want, I want to take the road down, because I am interested with that background of sales marketing, a little bit of web development, um, to where you're currently at, seems like a big shift. So, but, but you were there for 12 years, and then is that let me ask yeah. you this. Is that a tough conversation to roll in with your partner Extremely. and say, you know what, I'm thinking about other things.
1: I probably spent two to three years mulling it over, really? <laughs> maybe too long,
0: but so you kind of knew was very,
1: and right? it, it was, you know, it wasn't, it, it was still gradual, but I can kind of trace it back probably three years to when the wheel started turning. And is this still where mm-hmm. the right path? Or mm-hmm. do I need to switch gears? But it took a good long time, and really looking for signs, and really looking for what's the what what's what am I being called to do?
0: Right. Was it the next challenge, or needing more, or and You don't have to yeah. go into the depths of it as fifth sure. sure, but was it just kind of the next challenge, yeah, wanting something more? I, I
1: feel like we were uh, we kind of had uh, leveled off, right? And it wasn't I wasn't really going where I wanted to go anymore, mm-hmm. and also is it was a, a challenge where you know we were digital marketing consulting, and you're co- you're working with maybe six clients at a time, digital marketing strategy, mm-hmm. and, and putting strategies out there, but then not being able to see it through to execution. Right. You're giving them a plan, and you're hoping they'll execute it, and you're saying goodbye because the contract is up, they right. hit their budget, whatever the case is, and they take it in house. So. I was really wanting to see take all this experience. I would love to put all of it toward a single brand, to a single company, hmm. and see it through execution, as opposed to here's your plan, here's here's where I think you should go, here's some uh, tactical ways you can execute it. See you later, good right. luck, right? And then not see it happening.
0: Yeah, that's what I think we we had this discussion with some people where I'm at, and that that is that is uh, that's one of the things about being a consultant. Yeah. Right. You get hired for a four month project, six month project, or it could be in development and building a product. It could be where you're brought in to build teams and do some agile stuff and and streamline, do some DevOps, do all this. But you Mm -hmm. never really see it all the way to the end. You know, I was just on a client and bounced out of there and won't see the end of it. Won't see how they're using it. Won't see the next. And that, that there is some frustration. That is it is the value of. Uh, and being excited about the value you do bring and helping them get further yeah. down the road, and be, being excited about that and that you're able to contribute to a company and a project and helping them build their brand and business. Yeah, no but definitely, being there for the long haul does have its benefit. You know, I can see how that.
1: Yeah, I agree. Both sides have their you know right. pros and cons, and right. I still kind of think about the value of being able to see multiple businesses to to right. jump into that pool, learn their business, and right. discover. what their pain points are and their problems. That's fun too.
0: Right. And that's, I do believe that the people that are, that do listen to the podcast that are developers, they do write code for living. I do think that is attractive to the development teams that we have. And that I've seen with other companies is that where you jump from, you know, developers have a tendency to get, can get very bored on a stack. That's why they always want to work on new technologies and what's, what's the next thing out. But if you go to, this company and that company and every stack's different, and you know uh, how they architected is different. I do think developers really enjoy that shift uh, with people I've kind of talked with. But you go from there for twelve years, and I guess to ask this question, again, tough conversation with Marco then.
1: Yeah, that was. It, it's, yeah. You know,
0: we're yep. buddies. Yep.
1: We're, you know, partners. We built this thing together, and, right? And that was my life for twelve years, and right. that's your baby that you you helped right. grow for twelve years, so. And now you're like, tough.
0: and did you and so once you made the decision that you're going to start looking elsewhere, um, was it just building, just going through your network? I'm, I guess, I'm interested on how you go from that, and you are now a cybersecurity evangelist, right? right. Seems a lot different than sales and marketing.
1: Yeah, well, I'm still head of marketing for a cybersecurity okay. company, so okay. I was able to take my skill set and, and and my experience there at a Cube and. But I did have to learn the cybersecurity space. Right. I am still learning the cybersecurity space because it changes nonstop. Uh, but so, yeah, that and that's exciting too. Talk about being a part of another startup, a slightly larger startup. You know, now Netshurian is about three hundred employees, so it's hmm. it's growing rapidly. So is it just here in St. Louis? Uh, no, St. Louis, Fort Lauderdale, Columbia, Maryland, Houston. We oh, got wow. we got satellites all around, and a big presence in India where our uh, SOC. Uh, is located.
0: So, I guess maybe just some background on Net Netshurian is that yeah, is it Netshurian? Yeah. So, where did it start? Did it start in St. Louis? Or started, did it
1: started in Houston actually, started in Houston. and then was bought by a, a private equity firm that, okay. that you know rebranded it, uh, wiped out management, brought in all new all new players, uh, and the sales and marketing office. Uh, the, the chief revenue officer mm-hmm. is here in St. Louis, and then he picked me up. So that's how that's how the St. Louis office came to be. Oh, really, so it's sales, a the sales and marketing office, really.
0: How many people are local here?
1: Um, I'd say about 20, 25.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so um, so you just had a connection with this, went through it, and then just started. So how did you make really? that transition yeah. into cybersecurity, having not really known that much about it or the yeah. depths of what? Because it's a deep, yeah. deep topic.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, you know, that, that same experience of being a consultant. Where you know, you gotta like in my in my past, had to learn SeaWorld's business, had to learn Hillshire Brands business, had to learn, mm-hmm. you know, you name it, totally disparate businesses. And this was kind of another one. Mm-hmm. So now I gotta learn this. So I you know, I have my process of how do I get through the discovery phase as fast and efficiently as possible and absorb right uh see what the competition is doing, understand the landscape, and that's a constant so
0: let me ask uh, this for us. <laughs> so you go into that interview for a specific skill a, pacif- a specific job really not knowing that much about it how did like did you how did you pull that off <laughs> like that seems very like I, like hey there's a job opening for cybersecurity and i'd be sitting there going i don't know anything about it. but man i got an interview how were you nervous for that interview
1: yeah i i thought you know my my management style or my consulting background that really applied. Right. That I can learn the subject matter. Uh, you know, whether no matter what vertical it is or whatever, I can learn the subject matter. Mm-hmm. I think I can do it pretty quickly, but my the marketing principles that I'm going to apply in the job, mm-hmm. the the project management principles I'm going to apply to help this then startup of fifty to seventy five employees get to that next level. And they're, right. and they're really in that evolution stage. Right
0: so that's 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 great i mean it's great in that you found a company willing to take that on right i mean it'd be one thing to go sit and interview like hey i just don't know this much about it you know it's it's kind of like in the technical world where you're you know maybe you're doing like a tech screen or something like that and you're just sweating it out and you're just like i just don't know this stuff but you find that one company that says you know what they can learn this they're not where they need to be now but it's like where they will be six months from now, 12 months from now, like the value there down the road is substantial for where we bring them in at now. Mm-hmm. Like, is that how you kind of felt a little bit? or Yeah,
1: yeah, there, there's that. But I also brought a, a, a actual marketing plan to the table. So I learned Perfect. as much right. as I could about their business, about their competitors and said, you know, basically they were starting from scratch as far as marketing. This company was pretty backwards mm-hmm. as far as marketing when they bought it. Mm-hmm. And so just how are we going to get, how are we going to mature that side of the business? How do we, what does that plan look like? And it was borrowing a lot from the same kind of plans. I would give a, a customer if I was consulting. Right. So I was able to build a, a roadmap of a crawl, walk, and run. Here's where we're going to be in three months. Here's where we're going to be in six months. And at the end of one year, here's where I plan mm-hmm. to be. And here's the plan of how I'm going to get us there. Hmm. Uh, and, and of course it, that means also, and, and I think what was unique about NetSharing is, and in the cyber. Security space in particular is it is growing and changing so rapidly that it's honestly pretty hard to find a lot of people with that experience in that industry because it's so so new and so evolving, right? Um, especially on the marketing side, there's you know, maybe more on the technical side, it's mm-hmm. a little more solidified. But
0: uh, so now that how long have you been there now? Three years, three years, yeah. So, having been there three years. Take us through kind of, I mean, what's involved in your day-to-day now with, with some of this? Because I, I know you do some digital strategy. You're a digital mm-hmm. strategist. Right. And you do the, you're do. you an evangelist for cybersecurity. So what, what is that? What do you do day-to-day?
1: Um, you know, it's really keeping up with the marketplace, doing a lot of research, what's happening right now, what's happening tomorrow, what are our competitors up to. Really trying to keep a finger on the pulse of, of, of the landscape. And Mm -hmm. what is hot right now? What's going to be hot tomorrow? What, Basically, so I can fine tune our message and also come back to the product side of the team as well and say, this is what the market is looking for. You know, we may have these bells and whistles that we think technically are amazing and going to rock the world. Mm -hmm. But guess what? The market isn't ready for that. They're not interested in that. They're not going to hear that message right now. What they are going to hear is this. And so Mm -hmm. doing that, being that liaison, between the technical side and the marketplace uh, working with our CEO and our CTO and really uh, trying to maintain relevance and stay out in front of our competitors. It's pretty rapid and cutthroat because Mm -hmm. it is such a lucrative business right now, the cybersecurity space. Uh, It's saturated, right? I Mm -hmm. think there's going to be a lot of consolidation. It has to eventually because there's so many players so many pointed solutions that do little slivers of cybersecurity. And for a, a customer, a business, they, they, they're they almost overwhelmed with, I can't manage six different vendors with 12 different technologies to secure every part of our network and right. our endpoints, how we bring it all together. And that's where our our industry is evolving, is I think it's consolidating.
0: Right. So. Maybe this is a too high level of a question, but what do, what do people need to know about cyber? Is this the, so when people that do listen to this podcast and if we've made it this far, then you're in the technology space. If you're a basketball coach or a salesperson or whatever it might be, maybe we've lost you 26 minutes in, <laughs> but, and we've got about 28 minutes. The hard stops 1130. You don't have somewhere to be at 1130. You can just have to stop. I, I got a phone
1: call that I'll hop on. Okay. I'm, I'm a few minutes late. We'll okay, be the
0: perfect. The world. I want to make sure I'm, uh, Honor your time with us. Um, so, what? It, when I think of cybersecurity, and I, I, I'm a development guy. I've been in technology for a while. But when I think of it, I think of somebody breaching, you know, Yahoo or mm-hmm. eBay or whatever. Like these are targets. Had one, and here locally we had. Was it Schnook? Schnooks had a, a breach. Is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about just kind of breach yeah. of some systems? Yeah, yeah. Is, oh, for networks.
1: Uh, think of Equifax also. There's That right. was a big giant right. one in the in the news fairly recently. But I think what people need to know uh, to use some alliteration, that perfect protection is not practical. It's Mm -hmm. you cannot assume that you're going to install this piece of technology or hire this managed security provider, and you won't be attacked or you won't be successfully breached. Mm -hmm. You have to assume breach is another uh, mode of thinking. So what are you doing for immediate detection and response? A big problem, uh, you hear a lot of like uh, fast food chains a lot where there's credit card transactions right. happening, where they're getting breached, but they're reporting news. We just discovered we were breached nine months ago and it's been going on for three months. That right. That's what needs to stop. And that's where the market is changing. Is the, the cyber attacks are, are so sophisticated and changing nonstop. It's like an arms race mm-hmm. um, that you not only need to have good protection in place, uh, at the perimeter of your network and on the endpoints, but you have to have great th- uh detection and a response plan so that those mm-hmm. those attacks aren't uh dwelling for months on your network yeah that would
0: irritate me yeah <laughs> if, if if target just released and if i had and somebody had my and it got released hey eight months ago, like man, a lot can yeah, go on you just anymore.
1: now found it yeah that's the problem right now is to get those dwell times from months to minutes, right. if there's a successful attack on your network.
0: So what are, what are the again not to get too deep technically, um, but what 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 are companies doing now? Like what where is it now? What yeah. what what are what are you seeing now in that space that uh, you're ahead of right now, and and what you see people
1: doing? Uh, probably the biggest thing I see is um the, the ability to manage the security tools and technologies, uh, and to log everything to have your, you uh, know, to be able to track the, the network traffic happening on every single endpoint. The days are gone that you can, uh, protect servers and firewalls and monitor those mm-hmm. with, with mobile devices and bring your own device policies at work. There's so many laptops, mobile devices. That's where the threat is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what we what we've seen in the past is uh, the type of technology, the platform that's kind of the the heart and soul of cybersecurity is called a SIM, a Security Information and Event Management (SIEM) platform. But they're notoriously too difficult to manage, and they require 24/7 monitoring to be effective. You have to have bodies, you have to have eyes on glass, looking at the alerts, weeding through the false positives that it may be spitting out, tuning it, so it's not spitting out false positives all day long. Hmm. And what we see as the, the next wave is not sim going away. It's effective, uh, but co-managed sim. And that that philosophy is the sim platform needs to be uh, coupled with people and process to be effective. And that's where some, like our business, that, that's what we're doing is focusing on co-managed sim as a managed security service to bring together the people, the platform and the process to a company to augment their IT staff so that they can do what they do. And they know, they know the internal network, they know the business, but our team augments what they can do by knowing, Hmm. uh, knowing the security space and knowing how to use the platform effectively.
0: There's been a bit, so my mindset with some of this, is substantially different than it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. 15 years ago, when we started pulling credit cards out and buying things on Amazon right. or some other platforms or networks or uh, uh, websites, businesses, there, there was always a little bit of reluctancy. Like, who are these people? <laughs> like yeah. I'm about to give them my credit card. Um, you know, and I, I was smart enough to look for a secure, you know, HTTPS and some secure things like that. But right. Now, I don't even think anything about it. I pull my credit card out on any site I'm really on. And I'm I'm not sure I'm that much different than other people. I'm wondering, so I guess my question is, I'm wondering, there are so many sites out there now that do take your credit card, Mm -hmm. um, that my information is out there, that it can be breached. I'm wondering how these mom and pop shops do it. And I'm wondering how important that is to, to those companies. Like, yeah. It's so easy now for me to pull my credit card out and pay for things. Yeah, it,
1: it's, But
0: I'm wondering yeah. how important it's important to Amazon. Yeah. But is it? And it's probably important to like Shopify and some of these other big type companies. But, you know, we'll go put our credit card down anywhere. And I'm wondering how important <laughs> do you find that those companies that they all value it, don't they?
1: Or Yeah, you know? I, I think they do. I think especially the more, repu- you know, the reputable companies, the big names that have a lot of brand equity they have to right They have to value it Uh, if they don't
0: but do you still see those large companies just i
1: I think it's not so much um a lack of care but the complexity and you know a lot of these big brands they don't have full control Uh, a lot of them are Mm franchise-based brands you think especially in uh uh the restaurant space just the way that those businesses are made up, they may have five thousand global locations, mm-hmm. but corporate, the brand, those locations are owned by a hundred, you know, five hundred or a thousand different franchise businesses that are doing their own thing with some control. Right. And what we're seeing in that space is these brands finally trying to standardize their network technology and hence their cybersecurity as well. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of pushback to just politics of dealing with the franchise space. I think that's the biggest struggle I've seen is like, wow, that's it's hard politically to maneuver into all of those locations and all of those businesses right, when right. they don't have full control through their franchise agreements. They may not be allowed to dictate what IT solutions they have in place. Wow. But a lot of the newer uh franchises have incorporated that into those franchise agreements but you think of like the older mm-hmm. ones that have been around 30 40 50 years those brands as uh, restaurants and uh, retailers that have been around man they may not have man. that full control that they would want
0: we take that for granted yeah. as a as consumers that <clears throat> that, that one we, brand, we yeah. we swipe the card yeah and we put it into That's the computer and we are trusting that that is taken care yeah. of by somebody Right. And then we get these big breaches. How do these big breaches happen? Like, I know there's a deep technical and I I guess we are uh, we not to speak for everybody listening, but I'm picturing these people in basements with the, you know, the shades drawn and just up at three (laughs) in the morning. They have a hoodie on. They're drinking Mountain Dews and they're just (laughs) they're cracking the world. Right. Trying to get credit cards and email addresses and passwords and all that. But how, I mean, how 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 is this happening? Like,
1: yeah. And, and you know, I, that, that image cracks me up cause it's so overused and right, stereotypical, right. but the real look of it, think of more of a, an office full of cubicles that looks like a, a legit small office. Right. That that's, that's the, that's the attacker. Right. Right. <laughs> it's run like a business. Um, but, but yeah, that's, uh,
0: we, we, I gave a brief four day security talk at a a local company here in St. Louis. I clearly do not know this at your depth. But in my research, uh, there's a gentleman and you would know his name and I might get it wrong, but there's a gentleman out of um, Australia, Hunt. His last name might be Hunt. Um, And he is, he does a lot of speaking across the world actually in cybersecurity. It's really fascinating, but but it was interesting. I had a room full of 20 people and was talking about security and one of my presentations or part of the presentation was showing how uh, with, with, a, with a browser and some, and when putting something into the address bar that I could mm-hmm. bring up a web config file of a company. And web config mm-hmm. files are traditionally locked down. Yeah. Um, where you can't see them by the public and for those that are listening that don't know what a config file is this essentially holds a lot of information relative to a website that is valuable mostly passwords right and passwords of databases yeah. and yeah. connect and way to ways to connect to a database ways to get into the database and then once you're into the database now you have it all right that is it like if I can get to the data and it's a data breach I have everything. Um, but how easy that is and people just don't know. Um, and just like that was able to pull up a, uh, web config file with passwords. And I was like, man, it's when, when I learned that, when I saw that, when I was prepping for this talk, I was like, you gotta be kidding me that it's that easy. And people just don't do it or know.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. There's a local company here, a, a big brand that's a nationwide chain, um, a certain, bread company that's located in St. Louis, Uh, their website had a vulnerability similar to that where they were able to scrape uh, and connect to and expose the database of their uh, catering orderers. Wow. And the, the data was exposed. Fortunately, it wasn't credit card data. It wasn't anything super valuable, but it just goes to show you have to watch every every endpoint, every point of vulnerability, including your websites. um, Do you think
0: more people, and I don't know the answer to this and it may be a dumb question, but do, do these companies do uh, a target or a, a bread company? Do they store passwords themselves in their databases or do people go and outsource that to people that are experts? Like there are companies out there that just store credit cards. We handle it all and all that. And you don't even need to store it because I've been, I've seen those companies. I've talked to those businesses. Like we don't even store it. Now the person that's swiping their card, they don't care. They don't. But from a a security standpoint, um, I kind of like that feeling like, Hey, we don't even store that stuff. So if there's a breach of Panera or target, like that stuff's not even with us. It's they, they handle
1: it. Yeah. A lot of them do do that where they're not storing it, but it could get caught in transit from that point of sale system to the processor and where that credit card is being stored. So things can be caught in in stream, that data can be caught there. It does exist for a moment at the point of sale system before it's moved off and and no longer stored. Man, Uh,
0: so I mean, you you have to be so far ahead of what they're thinking. So one of the thing, when I got into technology, um, the one thing, uh, and my brother helped me get into technology and he's a software guy. And he told me the one thing he really loved about technology was that it was ever changing. It was something new every day. And it's something that you could, you know, it's going to be different a week from now. And there's more things to learn and you can dive deeper and all that. You, do you geek out? Like you're, this is always changing for you. Oh, They're yeah, always a is. step ahead yeah, and mean. people sitting in cubicles that are just <clears> figuring out ways to patch in and steal certain things. And they get they figure out a new way to do it, and you've got to be ahead, yeah. right? And so, the, when these breaches happen at Target or Panera, how you go pretty deep into that, like you personally, like you get into that, and that's yeah, I like
1: to follow it and and, and just see how did it go down, you know, what exactly happened, what was the attack vector, uh, what was the uh, the weak point? Sometimes, like with the case of Equifax, it was a missed patch on Apache, mm-hmm. and very simple stuff, but. Sometimes a very simple thing, is just patching, applying the patches when they're made available by the software provider. Wow, but if that's missed, that that could be detrimental.
0: Wow, who's the who's the big player in your space?
1: Um, there are several. Some of the big, you know, we have to go up against the IBM's of the world, the HPs. They mm-hmm. they've got enterprise security. Uh, Arms of their companies, so uh, mm-hmm. those are some of the big ones. But um, our our subsidiary that competes directly with the HP and the IBM is uh, mm-hmm. is called Event Tracker, and that they're they're they right. Rec- you know, it's recognized by Gartner on the Magic Quadrant. That's mm-hmm. kind of like a, a badge of honor. We've been there for ten years, so it's it's a mature platform. But we're definitely on the smaller side. You know, mm-hmm. we focus purposely on that small and mid market business that cannot afford IBM's price tag, right? And it's just not
0: practical for them to even
1: attempt hmm.
0: that. So you said something and we, we've got a uh, promise to honor your time. So we've got nine minutes and hopefully this isn't a deep rabbit hole. If it is, then we'll just, uh, we'll have you back <laughs> out. Um, you said something earlier with that about your management style and that helped you in the interview. So um, technology is important to us, but uh what a lot of the things we do talk about on this podcast are management and leadership mm-hmm. and how to build teams. Now, how, how, uh, how are you, do you have a team? Like how many people are on your team? Who do you work with? Are you the sure. director, the leader of the team? Like how did, when you got this job, were there people underneath you? Right. Like how, how does that all play out in terms yeah. of kind of an org structure so, of what you yeah. do?
1: Yeah. Three years ago when I took the job, uh, as, as VP of marketing, I had two, two people on the team and they didn't have a leader at the time. They were just kind of, floating. Um, Now I've got a team of 10, uh, but we've and uh, work in conjunction with the sales team where we're really one unit sales and marketing. uh, And the channel team partner channel is a big aspect of what we do deal uh, arming managed IT service providers to deliver our solutions to their customers. Hmm. So channel sales marketing is one large integrated unit.
0: How big is your sales team?
1: Um, I would guess that that's about I want to say about twenty five. Okay, and then another eight to ten on the channel sales side. So, um, right, we're about forty five as a whole as a whole unit.
0: And that's that. And you're kind of on in org chart terms. You're kind of on top of that.
1: Um. My boss is the chief revenue officer. Okay. And then my colleagues, my you know parallels would be the VP of sales and the VP of channel. So VP okay, of I got you. channel, VP of sales, gotcha. me, VP of marketing. We report to the chief revenue officer. Gotcha.
0: So to give us something, um, because we do talk about teams a lot here. Um, that is my true passion is teams and leadership and motivation and um, goals and things of that nature. Um, what, what are what are some of the things that you feel you're great at, or that your team hangs their hat on, on, on building a team, you know, in a conversation yesterday and I, I, I know how you're going to answer this question, but my brother says some people fear out of, uh, lead out of fear and some people lead out of love. Right. And, um, and that's really kind of the two tenets. I have a, I have an opinion on which one of those yeah. that you would side <laughs> on, um, but talk about your leadership, like how you built those teams, how you continue to build them and what you think is important in, in team development.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, I, I first start with the roles and responsibilities, looking at make sure we have very clear uh roles and responsibilities that are defined. I think one of the biggest traps people fall into is just making assumptions of, oh, we'll all kind of help each other out. We'll we'll do this, mm-hmm. that. And then you end up with groupthink, you end up with lack of accountability. I, I want my team members to know their role. And to feel accountable to own what hmm. they're responsible for and not think, oh, we're doing it as one one big group. So I'll... We, we said we'll do X. right? And then when we leave the meeting, if no one said that's on me, me specifically, individually, then it falls by the wayside because you're assuming someone else was going to do it. Mm-hmm. So that clear communication of your role on this team is to do X. And here's what we expect, and we're going to help each other out. So
0: that's my next question. So I, I hear that, and um, and I and we know each other a little bit, but I do hear that, and I say, okay, well, we got to make sure that we're not siloed in that role, right? Right right? That there's growth and that there's an accountability. So one of our tenants of our company is uh, one of our values is accountability. And it's kind of our phrase and word and value for the month. And we're trying to really hit on that. It is. So uh, how how do you create that accountability? What's that? What's what's that word mean to you? Mm -hmm. How do you uh, ingrain that in your teams? And and how do you how do you model that?
1: Yeah, I I think it's it's a combination. Like I said, you don't want to get into the situation of siloing people and saying, This is what I do, and this is only what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm not helping my teammates because I'm only doing my bitch. Right. I don't want that. Right. So we meet as a team, and we need to look at our, a shared common goal and know the score. So it needs to be clearly defined goals with a clearly defined milestone, a date. We want to do this by this date. And we can measure it. We can measure it along the way. Mm -hmm. Are we as a team meeting this? But for that team goal to be met, now we get into the individual accountabilities. But we we come back together as a team and have people share their progress. So that's Mm -hmm. an accountability thing. Share with the team, where are we with this? So we gotta have that open communication and accountability of coming to the table with, here's what I've done so far to help us meet Mm -hmm. that goal. Um, so I think there's that.
0: Tell me on a marketing, cause I don't know your, I don't know that vertical uh, at okay. all, but tell me and how many people are on your team now? You said, what did you say?
1: My team is, I think nine or 10. Right
0: so now. you have nine or 10, how many different roles are there on a marketing team?
1: Yeah. Marketing oh. is, is tough because we do have to be very, um, cross-functional. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got to be, You got to know messaging. You got to know how to copyright. You got to be creative. But then we do have some specifics like who's responsible for email marketing, who's responsible for search engine optimization and Mm pay-per-click marketing, who's writing campaigns and looking at what's the correct angle at a given time. Like To know that Mm -hmm. right now in our marketplace, PCI compliance has a new version coming out in July. And people are going to be needing to hmm. adhere to that, to be to have your finger on what's happening in the world and now build a campaign around that mm-hmm. ahead of our competition. Wow. And so there's lots right. of little pieces like that.
0: And finding, finding... And then, of course, our
1: web platforms. It's all digital. So our web application, our platform, our websites, because we've got several, mm-hmm. and our partner channel portals to enable the partners with the material they need. Well,
0: you sound understaffed.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, that's next episode. <laughs> sure For everything that you just rattled off, yeah,
0: that's a lot. That's a it lot is. to consider with ten, with is. ten people. It is right, and uh, yeah. to get that message out and to, that's to, a to constant bring. battle right, <laughs> everybody's understood. <laughs> so listen, I do want to be, I do want to honor your time, um, and we are friends, and uh, we live in the same community. Um, now, I guess one thing, let me ask you this. Uh, I want to have something that I end my podcast with. And I had um, a a, gal, a lady that works with us on maybe a few months ago, a month or so ago. And I asked her a question. Uh, I didn't ask her a question. I just wanted to acknowledge her. Um, I have, I felt like I acknowledged you definitely at the beginning. I think you're like, you are Thank a phenomenal you. person. So let me say this. And now I am going to run over a little bit. I'm going to get you out of here quick. Um, somebody said this about Tim Tebow. If you don't know who Tim Tebow is, Tim Tebow is a, uh, former Heisman winning quarterback for the University of Florida, won two national championships, got drafted in the NFL for the first round and um, ended up not being a very good quarterback. But he held strong to his convictions that he was going to be a pro quarterback. And he just battled and battled and battled and essentially never made it and, pro- and never will. Um, but somebody that I uh, in on ESPN on one of these sport networks once said about Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow puts his um, spirituality and his faith. He's right out front. He's uber positive um, and is apparently one of the best people you could ever meet. Um, And I say this story because uh, somebody said they met Tim Tebow and this was an older guy. So he might've been older than 50. Tim Tebow at this point was in his mid twenties. So this 50 year old talking to a 25 year old guy. This guy said, and it wasn't hyperbole or anything like that. It was, he said, that is the best 10 minutes of conversation I've ever had in my life. Like that was a life changing moment, getting to spend 10, 15 minutes with Tim Tebow. Like it was life changing. Like that guy's on it. Um, And I say that because, um, like you're, you're, like you are, you are a phenomenal person. Like, and it's like, I've seen how you lead. I've seen how you work with people. I've seen how you parent. I've seen that you bring these people in. So that's my acknowledgement to you. Like I, like you're like, you're, you're one of those guys. That's if you have a chance to meet Aaron, visit with Aaron. And I will, I will say this plug for Aaron, get, get connected with him on LinkedIn. He's doing a lot in the cybersecurity with what he does on LinkedIn. Are you on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's your Twitter handle if
1: at Aaron Branson. At Aaron so Branson, Aaron's too.
0: Hello, A-Ron. A- yeah, there it is. <laughs>
1: um,
0: but I do want to ask you this. So that's my acknowledgement of you. I think, I think I'm, I'm fortunate in the community I live in that we've got incredible families, incredible uh, parents, uh, incredible kids. It's, it's been, for somebody that um, has two young kids and who they are around and who they get to be with and friends with, uh, that, that means the world. But let me ask you this. This is how I'm going to end this this conversation. What is one thing you want to do in your life? That you haven't done yet.
1: Ooh,
0: wow. I hit you up on that. Yeah. I was going to tell you when you came to the house. Is there something off the top of your head? It doesn't have to be real deep, mm-hmm. but something you would like. It doesn't have to be professional. Yeah. It can be anything you want to do in your life.
1: Is there a shot for me in the NBA still? You
0: can't do that. Dang you can't it. do that.
1: Yeah, well, I know there's no shot there. <laughs> um, gosh, I, I just want to leave my family. I want to, I want, I, well, if I can. I want to get my family to heaven. Okay. Honestly, that, that's it. That's why I go Perfect. to work. That's why I do everything I do is to be a witness and try my best to be a witness. And that's my vocation, which is more important than my occupation. My vocation is to be the best husband, the best father I can be, and to be a decent guy to everyone else I
0: come across. Good for you. My follow-up to that was, so the question was, what do you... uh what haven't you done in your life that you want to do? Was the question. Um, then my follow up would be, why haven't you done it yet?
1: Well, no, it's still a work in progress. So that's it, right? <laughs> but you are doing it. So like you're living that every day. Yeah. Right. But I, I would love to see, you know, on a professional level, maybe to go that route. Sure. I, I would love to see, to grow this company. I, I kind of, with Rounded Cube, was kind of like a, we, we, we took a company of two to 28. People and saw that growth. I would love to see taking Natshurian and Event Tracker, this this startup that was 50, 75 people to now three hundred plus to take it to the next level and be a household name. That would be cool, right?
0: right. That would be awesome. And so the follow up would be, you know, why haven't you done it yet? But that's a like you said, that's a work that's in progress. It's a yeah. battle every day, right? Yeah, it's a grind and it's waking up and being passionate about it. So I know I, again, honor your time. It's eleven twenty seven. You have an eleven thirty call listen, I appreciate this a lot. This is, um, and track Aaron down uh, at Aaron Branson on Twitter, uh, find him Aaron Branson on LinkedIn. Uh, and fill, again, follow me on Twitter as well at GEvian. And Aaron, really, really appreciate you spending an hour with us. Thank and uh, awesome. and uh, we'll do this again. All right. Thank you for listening. Have a great rest of the week.